Welcome, welcome, welcome to Spiritpreneur School. I am Abiola Abrams, and I am so excited about today's conversation. Today, we are going to be talking about your mental health. As you know, Spiritpreneur School is where spirited entrepreneurs connect. And I feel like it's time that we get past the taboo of talking about our mental wellness, our mental well-being, because while we're talking about living our big dreams and getting out of our way and getting unstuck and stepping into our greatness, we can't do that if we have stigmas and taboos around, you know, issues and challenges that affect the greater number of us in our population. At any point in time, people you know are dealing with anxiety, depression, a number of other challenges. And so I am proud and excited to be joined in this conversation by this beautiful writer who is with me, AJ. Hi there, AJ. Hi, Abiola. Been wanting to talk to you forever. You're awesome, gifted, fabulous. Oh, well, thank you, sis. Well, here we are. Here we are. So I'm going to tell them a little bit about your work. You have a, a new book. You have a book out. Uh, and I'm going to tell them a little bit about you, and then I want you to tell us about you. So okay. this wonderful author, AJ, her jarring memoir chronicles the cyclical mental illness of an African-American girl who comes of age in a cruelly dismissive culture and patch patchwork health care system. The pages of this book expose a timeline of clarity and restoration after 10 doctors, 13 pills, and five psych ward stints failed. It is only after exchanging her safe place for a death wish that she realizes exactly to what degree isolation precedes advocacy. And she is a mental health activist and advocate in addition to being an author. And I just, I'm proud to, to have her on this conversation with me. So AJ, that is the professional bio that is a part of your book. You mm -hmm. tell us who, who is AJ? I am glad you didn't say sufferer. You know, we have to get away from that word. I am an empowered survivor. I'm an activist online. I'm heavily uh, blogging on social media. I am that woman who kind of ruffles feathers just a little bit because I push people to talk about those things that are uncomfortable with them. So I'm basically a constructive troublemaker. But I, I get things done and I help people to get over that stigma, particularly African-Americans. Just kind of the girl next door. Yeah, yeah, it's so important because you know we may think, okay, mental health, we, mental health, we don't really talk about it. The truth is that it's in our news every day. We just mm -hmm. don't talk about it in a transparent way. So I know recently you have been tweeting about Lamar Odom, or you know we see all time, all the time, celebrities self-medicating to deal with mm -hmm. perhaps depression and mental health challenges. And as you said, particularly in the African American and Caribbean and African diaspora community, we do not have these conversations. So take us back and tell us about you growing up and you know your own personal story and when you first knew that you had mental health challenges and what those challenges may be. Well because a lot of those um, mental health challenges and things aren't discussed in many families and in many black families you grow up behaving in a certain way and you don't know what those behaviors are until you're an adult and begin to learn symptoms. So I got diagnosed as an adult and when I figured out what was going on, I scratched my head and I said, hey, I've been dealing with this my entire life. And when I was younger, I was a very manic child. I was inquisitive. I was very hyper. I still have a speech impediment. I wet the bed till age 13. I grew up in an abusive household. All of those things added up to illness, and I had no idea. I thought I was just pissed off because I was very angry a, a lot of times. And then as I got older and I got diagnosed, and I said, okay, this is what was going on the whole time. I was able to separate what was depression, what was anxiety, what was bipolar disorder. And this is how it all unfolded. Now, what was the situation under which you came to be diagnosed, AJ? Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I moved here to North Carolina in 2008. 
because I wanted to pursue graduate school. I had gotten accepted to three, one of which was the certificate program at the School of Public Health at UNC. And, you know, it's a tough program. It's a really good program. I wanted to come here. When school didn't pan out, and then that was kind of the height of the economy crashing, 2007, 2008, I found myself underemployed and eventually not employed at all. I also could not find uh, good health care services when I moved, so that kind of left me in limbo, being diagnosed but untreated, didn't have the medication that I need, and eventually I lost my apartment. So those five things going on at the same time just set me over the edge, wow. and it, it kind of started from there. The 10 doctors, the diagnosis, misdiagnosis, and trying to get help for myself. This is where advocacy comes in. Wow. Now, how did it, how did I want to get really specific, you know, for our viewers? Mm -hmm. Did you, was there a situation where someone else told you that you needed to be diagnosed? Was it you of yourself saying, saying, wow, I feel depressed or I feel anxiety? Or was there, you know, like, were you, were you hospitalized and then a diagnosis came? What was the exact, um, where exactly did it stem from? At the lowest of my low, I initially got diagnosed when I was in Virginia. I moved here from Portsmouth and I was told that I had major depressive disorder where you're depressed for at least, you know, ongoing for at least two weeks or more. And at the time I was. So when I moved here to get uh, good health care, and that wasn't happening. Um, many people were telling me that, hey, you need to go see someone. You need to talk to someone. You're crazy. Something is wrong with you. What the heck is your problem? You have an all day attitude on and on and on. So I finally started listening to folks, a good friend of mine, and she told me about a center here. And I went there and they came up with a few more diagnoses. And that started the whole gamut of medication changes. So, it's, you know, like I said, it starts small. This is everyday life. It doesn't have to do with crazy or deranged, no matter how much we put that in the news. This is your everyday life that spins out of control. And for me, my emotions got to a point where I just could not take it anymore. Mm. I love that um, that you were able to rise out of this and see yourself, like you said, not as a sufferer but as a survivor and make a bridge and make a way for other people. How did your family react to you saying, this is what I am challenged with. This is, this is my diagnosis. Well, we're estranged. Uh, I do have a niece and a nephew that I speak to, but collectively the entire side of my mother's family is in denial. They don't think anything's wrong with them. They just think I'm holding on to things deliberately. I don't know who would do that, but that's what they've surmised. Um, it, it has been rocky. I've gotten more acceptance from friends, from uh, social justice groups, from my therapist than I have my own family. And you find that it's common with people who live with these illnesses. They kind of get the side eye a little bit because people just don't understand or just don't want to. Yes, yes. I, I definitely, you know, agree that there is this, you know, this kind of taboo and this stigma, especially about coming forward and talking about what is going on with you when we all know people that we can look at in our families that have issues, that have challenges. And I named today's show, today's conversation, today's episode, you know, when your, big, when your mental health is getting in the way of your big mm -hmm. dreams, because people maybe, you know, have like a big vision for what they want to do for their lives. But until we take care of this first of ourselves, you know, you can't necessarily get there. You're a creative person. You're a writer. Have you always been a writer? And, and has that been helpful to you on your journey? Yeah, writing has always been an outcome. kid who didn't particularly like school because, you know, I was a bully and I wasn't really understood. I wasn't one of the cool kids. And as I said, I stuttered then worse than what I do now. I hated math, so I would just sit in math class or, you know, with my favorite English teacher and I'd write stories. I'd write essays. I call myself at eight years old writing a cookbook. I would sit there, listen to the radio and make playlists before I even knew what playlists were and call the radio station and trying to be that 10th caller. You yes. know, I was always writing. I didn't think that I would write a book until things just nosedived for me. And that's where the memoir came from. Mm. But I have been writing in some way my whole life. Me too, me too. So I totally relate to that. 
Now, when you said you started your memoir in the midst of everything, of the challenges going wrong, and if you have another device on with this conversation, like maybe if your phone is on or something, please mute it because I can hear an echo. But I hear one too, and I don't have anything open. Okay, I'll check. I'll check my windows after I ask you question. Ask you this question: Did you? Was it at the advice of a therapist, or that you then begin this memoir, or was it your own? You know, you saying, "Okay, I've got to get this story out." I had to get it out. I said, "I don't want anyone else to have to live like this. I want people to understand." I pulled the book from so many different perspectives. I want you know the person who's living with this to say, "Hey, this is me." I want the kid in school who bullies everyone to say, "Geez, I caused this. Maybe I need to check myself." I want the policyholders to say, "This happened on my watch. How can I do this differently?" And I had been wronged in a lot of instances, which isn't uncommon. You know, people with mental illnesses get treated like stepchildren. So I said, I'm going to expose these people and I'm going to get this off my chest for my own healing. It wasn't about slander, but it did get a little crowded under that bus after I was done <laughs> throwing a little bit. And it, it just came out of that. And it turned out to be a two year process. I had no idea. I had so much that I was holding on to there again harboring a lot of pain and things that we just don't deal with. And in the African-American community, we're taught to keep it inside. You know, you want to know your business. If you ask for help, you're weak. Those types of stigma. And I wanted to get beyond that and help other people to see that yes. they can get help for themselves. Yes, and those that, that stigma comes from within the community and from the outside of the community as well. That I remember, you know, many years ago, I did a film where I followed a year in the life of a young woman dealing with mental health challenges. Named Knives in my throat. my throat. Yes. And, you know, I was so proud of that film and it won a lot of awards and did really well at the African-American film festivals. But uh, uh, someone, uh, a producer, an executive producer from one of the big networks said to me, you know, this is about a black girl and nobody wants to hear a bl another black girl's hard luck story. And I was so devastated that this person, you know, and this was a black person telling me this. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm speaking for my network that, you know, we feel already, you know, all these sad, hard stories black about black women, you know, and, and then he even said, well, is there a way to re-edit it to make her more like, at the time it wasn't Nicki Minaj, it was like Little Kim. They were like, can you make her more of like a Little Kim type? And I'm like, but that's not who she is. Right. And so it's really really insane that you know to, to to no pun intended the ways that mental illness is treated in our society you know and mental health challenges let me rephrase are treated in our society when you know like i said that if everyone thinks of the people that they know and the people they're related to and themselves this is not something that is foreign i feel like the numbers when i look at the statistics of the challenges people have i feel like those numbers are way lower than the truth can you give us some definitions please aj of anxiety of depression of bipolar give us some definitions please well mental health in general a mental illness is a medical condition. Let me say that. We won't seek treatment for something we don't consider a medical problem. Your mental, uh, a mental illness is something that affects your everyday life in every area, including your thoughts, your feelings, your judgment, how you respond to the world, and how you relate to others. That's the short, succinct version of it. Bipolar disorder is when you have these uncontrollable moods, you have mood swings, you have highs and you have lows. Sometimes you're very manic and very spastic and you just have this outburst of energy like a three-year-old on Pop Rocks. Other times you're downtrodden and you're sullen and you can have a mix of both. When you're anxious, you have this uh, irrational uncomfortability and nervousness that's triggered by some of everything and sometimes nothing at all. So you have depression, you have anxiety, you have personality disorders. This thing, it just spreads. It's, it's a web and there are different classes of illnesses. And what gets me when I start and I speak sometimes for people, when I start throwing numbers out there, folks still scratch their head and don't want to see it for the illness that it is. One in four adults and one in five children will be diagnosed with a mental health disorder within a given year. Currently, 43 million Americans suffer with mental illnesses. And guess what? 250 million depression prescriptions are filled in this country every year. 
It's just depression. They ain't the rest of them. Wow. You know, this is the number that we know about. What's you know the big hot topic now is suicide of young black boys ages five to eleven. Five to eleven. Yes, and they are committing suicide at twice the the rate of their white counterparts. Statistically, that's never been so. It's always been the white male, the white child, the white this. Black boys are killing themselves at twice the rate than their white counterparts. You know, I, see, I haven't even heard numbers. that. I oh, hadn't yeah. even heard that. Mm-hmm. Wow. What and, do you think is going on at the in the society at large? You know, we. I mean, we know, but let's hear. Let's. I would love for you to state what you think is going on. I think it's a, a combination of things. It's definitely historical and uh, environmental. The things that we are directly affected by and exposed to all the time, and things that we are um, living in our lives every day. It could be a family history. It could be trauma. It could be abuse. It could be natural disasters. If you do the timeline. In, in short, you had slavery, you know, you had Jim Crow South, you had two world wars, then you had Nam, crack hit the ghetto in the 80s, then you had the stock market crash, the housing bust of the 90s, more natural disasters. You can't be exposed to all of that and be well. You can't, right. you know, right. trauma, PTSD is trauma for a reason. It, it isn't something just happens to war vets. Trauma is trauma for a reason, and our kids, they have such fragile breaking points. Now you have online bullying, you know, you have um, unemployment, just a, a myriad of things going on, and it affects our emotions until it eventually nosedives. That's mm-hmm. how you get there. It almost always starts small. You don't wake up and just snap. It mm-hmm. almost always starts small. There are red flags we overlook that's indicative of illness. But we don't see that because we like to associate illness with crazy and deranged. We're not looking at problems every day. Right. Right. I want to tell you that some questions are starting to come in for you, AJ. And um, if you want to ask a question and you're watching this live, you can click on the blue Q&A box and ask your question. Before we get into the questions, I wanted to ask you, how do you today maintain your own strength, your own well-being? What is your daily self-care? I try to keep some type of balance. I do have a very, very good therapist that I see once every week to two weeks. I write. I try to separate myself. I hear you ask often. I've seen a thousand of these that you've done. And uh, I hear you ask often how people, when they get into procrastination spells, for example, how do you get out of that? How do you deal with that? And for me, I may continue to write, but I do other things creatively. It's always something about creative arts with me. I will go on some blogs. I will go on to, you know, Google circles or something like that. I wrote and produced a short film just to get it off my chest. I wanted to get it out there. Music in motion. I pray when I wake up and I wind down when I go to bed. And that's usually watching comedy or something like that. Have to find a way just to keep myself balanced, even when I am down. I have my good days and bad days, but I got to keep myself balanced. Yes. I think that the next book for you might be really powerful, AJ, if you write a book of just telling other people, just sharing, here are some practices to, you know, ways to hold it together, ways to to deal, ways to still, you know, find ways to thrive in the middle of the storm. It's funny you should mention that. I just wrote an article about self-care solutions that work for Empower Magazine. And that's exactly what I was explaining. Oh, great. Excellent. I look forward to reading that. Okay, so here's a question, AJ. This comes from Patrice uh, B. Patrice B., thank you so much for having the courage to ask your question. Patrice says, I'm in my mid-40s, and I went to top Ivy League schools. Much was expected of me, and I was on the right track till I suffered a nervous breakdown. Now, I don't have a job because I'm held back by anxiety and fear. This is a big one. Can you please speak to the fear that holds us back? Thank you for your courage, Patrice, to have your question, ask your question. That's a good question because when you are anxious, like I said, you have this irrational fear of things. You um, are uncomfortable around people. You're uncomfortable around crowds. After after a while, you're not comfortable with getting up and doing things. You're worried that you're going to be judged. And I had that problem when I was working 
uh, for a pharmaceutical company, for example. I knew I wasn't as strong. I didn't have a strong background in chemistry like my coworkers did. So I start shaking when I come to work. I was going to the bathroom every five seconds. I just knew somewhere in my head, I just told myself I was going to end up getting fired. I previously already had two nervous breakdowns and it prevented me from going to work. So that fear that grips you is very, very real. And you have to find ways that um, you can deal with that, try to minimize the fear and eventually get rid of it at all. But it's, it's very difficult. Anxiety, it, it, it bites, you know, because you flinch, you're sensitive. And this is, it isn't just work. I can imagine she's like that in her, her life daily in different areas. So as far as the fear that she's going through, I would tell her to find whatever it is that calms her down in those situations and then practice that until it becomes na second nature. Mm. Do you feel like like exposure therapy works? Like you said, doing, you know, finding either exposing yourself to the situation that is challenging for you or... Yeah. Yeah, I, I think exposure therapy was a bright idea. I don't know who came up with it. It's not always about sitting on a couch. It's like with uh, PTSD vets, if they're sensitive to noise, okay, you may just start off with white noise and see if that calms them down and see if that relaxes them. Then you may go out to a park with one or two kids playing. Then maybe you're able to go near a train track or ride a train and then the screeching of the wheels don't bother you. You have to take this in baby steps, just teaspoons, and see what works. But exposure therapy is really good, especially with animals. Mm, okay, okay. Good to know, good to know. Okay, so the next question, AJ, is from Charlene. Charlene says, what is a nervous breakdown? A nervous breakdown is a situation where you can no longer handle all of the responsibilities that you have. And mentally, you check out, you get nervous, you get anxious, your breathing is affected, and then you, you build this block to the responsibilities that you have and obligations that you have every day. You know, the tears come out and you're just overwhelmed. And you're overwhelmed to that point where you near collapse or you just might collapse and you, mentally you can't function anymore. I'm, I'm so glad that you brought up PTSD. I feel like that is such an important part of this conversation mm -hmm. that is ignored when we're talking about just living. I was actually talking talking about this the other day, giving a speech, just talking about how you can have PSD, PTSD now just from living, from mm -hmm. everyday life. And I was talking about that um, my sister, she either lost her wallet or got pickpocketed in the, in, in the city. And, you know, when she called to cancel her credit cards, they were like, you know, well, did you go to the, the police station and report your wallet stolen? And, you know, my sister and I are really close. So she would be going to the police station. I would be going with her. And she was very scared of it. I was very scared of it. We felt like we were felt more comfortable to take our chances with the mugger, with whoever had her wallet, than going to the police station, because that seems scary to us, because we're scared of the police just with the current climate and with us. Right. You know, and we're law-abiding citizens. We haven't done anything wrong. That is a form of, if you feel, you know, mm -hmm. so terrified to even, you know, see a police officer and feel uncomfortable that you have to cross the street and you haven't done anything wrong, you know, that there are ways that you can have PTSD just from living or, you know, right. for example. Right. You know, and a part of PTSD are flashbacks and avoidance. You know, you're, you're to a point where you don't want to be in that situation again, so you just totally avoid it. At least she had you as her support system so that when she did go to the police station, she didn't have an all-out meltdown, meltdown. I imagine she still has flashbacks about that. She's extra careful when taking her wallet with her. Some people may say to the extreme, you know, hiding wallet in places and things. That, that comes from having suffered some form of trauma. And trauma can be defined as, you know, a, a situation that is uncomfortable for you or that's outright harmful to you. And, okay. right. Go ahead. Go ahead, AJ. And, and, and as a result, you're, um, you have a certain nervousness and uncomfortability by it. Your heart rate changes. You begin to worry. Your thoughts start racing. And it reminds you of the situation. That's a big part of PTSD. 
Mm, okay, so here's a here's a question from David. David wants to know what is the difference between situational depression and chronic depression? Well, situational depression is triggered by just a particular circumstance. A, you know, a situation might bring it on. You'll get depressed, say, seasonally if it's too much rain outside on and on you know over and over again um another situation could be say you're graduating you can't find a job so now you're down in the dumps chronic depression is when you have depression that is ongoing and anything can trigger it you're sad you're checking out of um, different activities things that used to be important to you you don't want to be bothered your sleep is affected you're not eating not taking care of yourself and that's ongoing it's not just one time or triggered by one situation it, it's ongoing okay that I think that that's a, a good a good description because many times people don't know they don't know if okay you know especially in our current client climate of, of of getting medicated they don't know okay well if i feel sad for one day you know everybody when i watch reality tv every other person saying oh take a xanax take a whatever you know they don't know we don't know like what the scale is mm. um it's funny you should mention that because I, and i just did a youtube video i'll put it up on my channel tonight about uh, an experience that I had when I went to the doctor yesterday and I'm all kinds of geeked and happy about it because when I went they gave me a 10 question depression screening and I said well what's this I mean they already know I'm diagnosed but now it's standard care everyone that comes through the door gets a depression screening at my doctor's office they don't care if you're there for a ringworm for a bullet wound or jock itch they want people to become familiar with what these symptoms are and what warning signs are, what red flags are, because there could be underlying illness there. So that's very, very important to make sure that across the board, everybody's being screened for, for depression. Oh, that's so, that's amazing. Good that for your doctor. Good. That's, yes. that's what we need more of. It's kind of like what Mayor de Blasio and his wife is doing in New York City with this push to train officers police officers in mental health care. Now it might be yes. three or four days, but at least they'll get something and you can yes. recognize these symptoms and what's going on and begin taking care of yourself. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's not always about a pill. They either make you up or they make you down. You gotta get to the root of what the problem is. You have mm -hmm. to go through some therapy. You have to talk it out. You have to address old wounds. There's not a pill on the market that's gonna help you with that. It's not gonna yes. fix feelings. Well said. Well said. Very, very important. And yes, Mayor de Blasio and his wife, um, his wife and his daughter actually have been very outspoken and honest about, you know, their own challenges dealing with different, you know, mental health issues and challenges. And so I think that that's going to make a big difference. Mm hmm. I think that's going to make a, a big difference. The more that we can have these conversations without stigmas, without, you know, having this idea that you are broken or something is wrong with you. Whereas, you know, if I hurt my arm, you wouldn't think I'm less than a person because my arm is hurt and I need treatment for it. And I need, you know, maybe some physical rehab to get it working again. And, you know, but yet we have these mental health, these stigmas and these taboos that keep us from having these conversations. You know, right. that's why I'm very open and honest with the fact that, you know, I've dealt with social anxiety. I've dealt with a season, you know, affective disorder, you know, that these are things that, you know, I, I, a highly HSP, highly sensitive person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, re I think the more of us that can say, this is me, this is what I've dealt with. This is what this looks like. This is what anxiety looks like. Then the more people can say, oh, okay. So this is not, you know, some back alley time where we're stuffing people in the basement and throwing them away and throwing away the key because, you know, maybe they're going through a challenging time. Right, and isolation doesn't work. It's been proven over and over again that institutionalization does more harm than good. People need inclusion. Jails and prisons have become our biggest hospitals. And a lot of times, folks with mental illnesses, people don't know where to send them or what to do. You go to the hospitals, they don't have enough beds. 
or people may commit petty crimes, you know, just trying to survive. Um, trespassers so they'll have somewhere warm to sleep, shoplifting so that they'll be able to eat or take care of their kids. So where do they end up? They end up behind bars. We criminalize the mentally ill just because they have a diagnosis. And, you know, isolation is not what a person needs. It's easy to say, oh, well, just lock them up. I could tell you some stories about some of these places. That's the last place that you want to be is in, you know, a site unit on lockdown. Mm. Mm. You lose all your rights. You're not going outside, you know, there's no take a, a hot bath so that, you know, you can relax. It's none of that. And everyone is there with a different um, level of severity and with different needs. So it's, it's, it does more harm than good. I'm glad you mentioned reality shows because you know what? <laughs> that could be my other rant. <laughs> Give us the rant. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you notice that a lot of times when these people finally sit on the couch, they start crying. And, and you're talking about grown men and women. And so this person's in their 40s. How long have they been walking around with this kind of pain? Kenya Moore said that her mother dealt with bipolar disorder and was abusive to her. You look at Mimi, her mom was left the family at 12 because she joined Scientology. DB's mom abandoned him when he was just a newborn. And we wonder why he has all these problems with women, why he treats them the way he does. Jocelyn been on her own since she was 13. K. Michelle just ain't rap tight, and she came from a loving two-parent home, but her issue stems from when she, how many failed relationships with men she's had. What are we harboring that we aren't dealing with that affects our emotions, that affects anxiety, that affects our moods, and how we treat others? These are illnesses, not crazy, deranged, and psycho. This is everyday life that starts to nosedive. Did you watch Preachers of L.A.? No, I don't think I saw that. There no. was that one episode with Bishop Noah Jones. That man's about 270 years old. And the second that therapist said something about his mom abandoning him, I think he was age seven or something, mm -hmm. a tear came out of his eyes. At that age, he's about in his 70s. I'm, I'm exaggerating. Right. He's in right. his 70s. At that age, how how long have you been holding on to this? Um, yes. The first thing they do is start crying and talking about childhood. You got a lot of adults who never got to be kids. And this is the behavior that we're seeing. I think that, you know, an important part of this conversation is letting folks know that it's never too late to get help. It's never too late to be able to evolve your own healing, find your own healing. And, you know, I know my dad is in his 70s and I love watching my dad because, you know, he still every day is trying to be a better person, you know? And so I think that, you know, it's great that these people, whenever and wherever the healing comes and then maybe are able to take it off the reality show and maybe get some some deeper help for it, you know, some cognitive behavioral therapy or something specifically maybe that works for them, whatever the modality is that works for them. Mm -hmm. And there are so many things, you know, again, with the stigma that germane to African-Americans, it really hinders us, especially with black women. Black women just deal. We're supposed to be strong. We're the battle axe. And that's know. a myth. That's such and, a myth. And, and it is all a myth. You know, you got to ask, how's that working for you? You have more black women right now who are so enraged and crimes against their own children. We see the videos floating around with black women. They're talking to their daughters like some broad in the street, cussing them out, calling them all kinds of names, especially the girls who look like the fathers. Where's the anger coming from? Beating on them, slamming them into you know sidewalks and whatnot. I said, where is this anger, this hatred, this volatility coming from, from black mothers against their, their children, you know? And, and then it becomes a multi-generational thing because exactly. that, that child, how are they going? They only know one way to be able to deal with their children or with the people around them or, you know, and it becomes a multi-generational issue. Right. I saw an episode of um, Fix My Life and Ayala was talking to this woman about her age, about 60, 61. Mm -hmm. And she handed her a mirror and said, who is this woman? And the woman said, well, um, this woman ain't me love. I don't know how to love. She had a habit of calling her daughters, you know, hoes and B's and C's mm -hmm. and all of that. And 
the, the daughter said they can count how many times their mother has called them by name. And oh. you know, she was always using profanities towards them. And the woman, you know, had a just a strong stance, say it with your chest voice. Um, sadness is weakness. I said, bingo, where do right. we get that from? Right. And Ayala, and she said, but it's okay, it don't matter. Ayala was saying, you do matter. Why yeah. is she 61 years old hearing you matter for the first time? The first time. Wow. wow. Raising children the same way that they were raised, and then they grow up, and they act like these folks on the reality shows. Yes. Yes, and that's it, exactly what you said. You know, this idea that, you know, emotion, you know, that that you know it, we're in this cultural moment right now where everybody wants to talk about well i don't give a f i don't give a f i don't give a f you know and it's like ex any expression of emotions or feelings is seen as weakness and the right. thing that you know you can't if you feel like okay it, you're you're afraid to be vulnerable and you try to shut down that part of you you try to shut down the fear part and you just mm -hmm. you, you shut down the joy you shut down everything at the same time there's right. no way to collectively feel like be like okay i'm going to let through the happiness and i'm going to shut down you know the the honesty you know vulnerable part it's all connected Right. And the idea of being a strong black woman particularly hurts us, even though on the surface it may look like it's a compliment because it takes away your humanity as right. a human being, you know, we're human like everybody else. And so we cry, we bleed, we have issues, we have challenges. And until you know that and you can face that, then you won't get help for that. Then you'll see, right. okay, something's wrong. If you need a therapist, something is wrong. That's what other people do. We don't do. No, that's what we should all do. Run to a therapy. If you need someone to talk to, if you need right. a sounding board, if you need help, if you need healing, whatever kind of healer works for you, take care of yourself. It's the right. it's the basic, basic, basic self-care. There again, disassociating this word mental from crazy. Well, that's yeah. for crazy people. That's for psychotic people. First of all, that's less than 10% of the mentally ill population. Okay. That's what is shown on TV over and over and over again, because we have to create hysteria because the markets need ratings. But when you explain it in such a way to let people know that this has to do with your everyday emotions and who you are and how you respond to the world, then maybe it'll start to click that, okay, you can go to therapy for any number of reasons. And that doesn't make me crazy or make me a bad person. I've just gotten to a point where life is overwhelming and I need some help dealing with it. Because the way we're going now as a society, all we're doing is teaching our kids how to negatively handle stress how to poorly communicate, yeah. how to poorly parent, how not to be honest with our feelings. And then what do kids do? They go on social media before they kill themselves. Yes, yes. This, this is what we're seeing because we're invalidating children. And validation, it really uh, underscores a lot of these illnesses in some way. I wasn't good enough. No one heard me. No one listened to me. No one took time for this. I didn't have as a child. It, it it creeps up and this is what kids are seeing. So this is what we're modeling and that's what they do. Yes, I, I'm I'm glad that you're saying that. And it really it really, AJ, runs the the length of experiences in our society. I want to speak to what Patrice, you know, courageously shared with us in the comment earlier that you know a lot of the people that i went to school with you know ivy league educated black women you know ended up having a lot of challenges because there then was the the pressure of representation of you have to you're now representing a whole group as a so-called talented tenth and so then you can't again you're the strong black woman it's just a different right. form of the same thing you can't right. have feelings you can't have emotions everything needs to be put together your hair's got to be perfect your nails have got to be perfect you in the boardroom have to be perfect your diploma your diplomas and your education has got to be perfect and again that's not human we are human and so more than anything, it's really important for us to claim our humanity because mm -hmm. then when you claim your humanity, you say, I matter, like that Ianla conversation, and you say, okay, if I'm dealing with depression, if I'm dealing with anxiety, if I'm feeling suicidal, then I will, I will get help. I will find someone to talk to. I will find a way to help myself. 
let's talk about suicide. I feel like that's an important part of the conversation. Uh, and we're seeing more, you know, it's being that, you know, these conversations are starting to come out more, thankfully. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things with suicide is that you never know what someone is right. doing. You know, like right. with, for example, last year, you know, the prominent suicide of Robin Williams. It yes. Was, oh my God, but he he's a comedian. He has everything going for him. Or uh, I think it was last year also with T.T. Branch, who was one of the founders of Miss Jessie's. Like, mm-hmm. okay, wow, she's, you know, uh, a multi-millionaire, you know, successful woman. Uh, I lost one of my friends this year to suicide. Thank you. Thank you. His name was Nathan Seven Scott. And he was a coach and a healer and an empowerment person. And you would never know, you know, and and I just kept feeling like, well, how could he not call me? Like, how could he not give me a chance to talk him out of it? You know, he sent me, you know, he sent me signs of goodbye, but I didn't know that that was goodbye until later. You know, he sent me like a positive video telling me how much he loved me and like all of this, like, you know, everything like that. And then, you know, he was gone. And mm-hmm. so how can we better be each other's keeper, if you will, AJ? Well, mental illnesses are invisible illnesses. You never know what someone is dealing with. And depression is tricky because you can be depressed with a smile on your face. And many of our c- comedians and personalities that we watch and we adore so much they have a lot of internal pain going on so you know like the class clown in school they mask it with laughter trying to be buddy buddy with the next person want to be everybody's friend they want to make everybody else happy so you'll never think that they're depressed and robin williams that hit me hard i said man that's patch adams mark from ork how what Mark from Mark, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't have a particular face. There are warning signs, you know, you hear about people giving away their prized possessions, risk-taking behavior, they don't care what happens to them. They have changes in appetite, you know, either eating too much or eating too little, sleeping all the time. Sometimes it's talks of hurting themselves and other times the person can have everything going on with them. But what I want people to understand is we got to get away from the stigma that if you're suicidal, you're selfish, that you're just um, wanting attention. When you're at the brink of taking your own life, you're not thinking rationally. So that throws that one out the window. No one who is ready to check out of here by their own hands is going to say, hmm, I have a lot of things going on in my life. I have family who's going to miss me. Maybe I shouldn't do this. No, the self-talk isn't happening at that point because you're ready to end it all. It's not a cry for help. It's not just, you know, crying wolf or anything like that. You're not being selfish. You want to be heard and you're feeling so much pain. I've attempted suicide, you know. You, you're going through so much pain and you feel like you just can't take it anymore. And, and suicide is the second leading cause of death in our young people from ages 15 to 24, only filed, you know, by uh, homicide. So is is very, very prevalent. As read somewhere about every 13 minutes someone commits suicide. And that's that's a lot of people. People are really, really hurting. But this isn't something that you do just for attention, you know. Very um, how did you say that? With that young girl now how do you say her name? Nala or Nala Morrison, the 18-year-old. She's an 18-year-old black girl, Nala Morrison, and this was earlier this year or late last year. She did a YouTube video where she filmed herself taking six bottles of her father's pills. Somehow she survived. I don't know. But there was so much shaming about that video going around. And I'm on everybody's page. I bet they thought I was a, a troll. I'm on everybody's video trying to leave comments, some education, something. And, you know, one of the things I saw, she had too much going on for her. Depression doesn't care how much you have going on. She was 18. She was about to get her own apartment. She was accepted to art school. That breakup with the boyfriend sent her over. And then uh, she had also said in the video she got picked on for being dark-skinned. She was uh, abused and her mother didn't do anything about it. And all these different things happened. So she just decided to take six bottles of pills and wash it down with Robitussin. Somehow she survived, 
But the shaming that I saw really broke my heart. I said, people don't understand. This is not something that you're doing because you just want some attention. That's what, yeah, that's the big way that people dismiss it. They say, oh, the person just wanted attention. It's, again, another reason why we need to have these conversations. When I was a kid that a family member, and I, I will protect their confidentiality, so I can't say who, but a family member of mine, you know, attempted suicide. And we all went to the hospital, and, you know, everybody else in the family just said, you know, they didn't want to kill themselves. And we came home and never mentioned it again mm -hmm. as a family never anybody ever mentioned it again until you know a few years ago when i started to bring up these issues and try to bring this stuff out of the closet how can right. we have these conversations where there are situations where i'm sure a lot of people experience that where they just say oh you didn't want to kill yourself and then just never mention it again we have to stop minimizing depression. We have to stop minimizing mental illness. You know, you can't just say it's just a little. You think postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis, oh, it's just a little baby blues. You think diabetes and someone say it's just a little sugar. We have to stop minimizing this thing. And I tell people a good icebreaker is this. I don't understand what's going on with you, but I want to. I'm here to listen and I won't talk until you stop speaking. Easy icebreaker. You can get folks to, people will be more inclined to talk to you if they feel like you're really listening without judgment. You're not there to, you know, be the therapist and assess the situation and diagnose them, but you are there to listen to them and hear what's going on in their heart. And then you can tell them, let's see how we can figure this out together. Confidentiality issues are huge. People are ashamed to go ask for help. They think they're bad, they've done something wrong, or in the religious community that they're possessed by Satan. You know, so it's I would encourage people to call a hotline. Start off with it's a the suicide depression hotline is two seven three talk. Eight hundred two seven three talk. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they're trained counselors. And the good thing is your area code pops up when they answer that phone. So they can tell you the resources that you have in your community. Encourage someone to call and talk to with a pen and paper in hand or with their phone in hand so that they can get different phone numbers for places they can go in their community and support circles. But listen without judgment, even if you don't get it and try to get that person to at least make a phone call, monitor their activity. You don't have to micromanage, but monitor that activity. Because a lot of times what you hear on the news, especially when children commit suicide is, oh, I thought they were joking. Nobody thought that they were really gonna go through it. You're not leaving notes, basically, and pictures of weapons. And now they have these suicide chat rooms. You're not involved with all of that for no reason at all. So it shouldn't be taken lightly. Mm -hmm. Well said. Well said. Tell us about your shirt. And the I know that this that earlier this month was Mental Health Awareness Week. Mental Health Awareness Week was October 4th through the 10th, and I was very busy. This is one of my shirts. It, on the back, it says, everybody mental ain't crazy. And that's something that I try to stress. That's one of my favorite mantras is, you know, we have symptoms, but it doesn't mean that we're over the cuckoo's nest. I, I said that really, to my tribe today, that quote, I love that quote. Say it one more time and then explain Everybody it. mental ain't crazy. What does that mean? Break it down. You know, a lot of us, again, need someone that we can talk to. We may be experiencing symptoms. We might be acting a little mental or if people say she's just having a mental moment. You know, we're starting to show signs that something is going on with us. But that doesn't make you crazy or deranged. That just means that you got to a point where stress is overtaking you and you're overwhelmed and you, you need a way to hash it out. So this is, you know, one of the shirts that I have, which is forthcoming right now. I just want to concentrate on the book. I have another one that says, call me by name, not by label. You know, you don't want to say, hey, crazy or hey, schizo or anything like that. Call the person by name. We're people. We have different illnesses and situations that we're dealing with, but we're people just like anyone else and no less deserving of respect. 
Yes, yes, very important, very important. And that in many cases, you know, that these are multi-generational challenges. It just wasn't discussed in previous generations. You know, in my film, Knives in My Throat, for example, you know, that it was her mother and I believe her grandmother as well. You know, her mother had schizophrenia, that a lot of us have things that may have, you know, when I listen to stories about, you know, one of my grandfathers, for example, I'm like, I think he had, you know, some serious challenges that he was dealing with, but things that were undiagnosed in previous generations. Here's another question for you, a comment actually from Patrice, um, Patrice again. Patrice says, I think a lot of people with mental issues suffer from the they, they won't like me syndrome or they don't like me syndrome, which stops them from connecting with people and even being assertive with them. This leads to depression and anxiety. What do you think? I do think that um, people feel misunderstood and that they think someone either doesn't like them or won't get them. And that's what leads to that being anxious and having that fear of crowds. And when you feel like the world is against you or doesn't understand you, it's easy to feel depressed. It's easy to feel down. It's easy to start having those crying spells. So I fully agree with her on that one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. One of the things that I noticed that, that AJ that you talked about on your social media, you talked about having simultaneously anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. which a lot of people are unfamiliar that you could have both. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I love that article. I love BuzzFeed. I would like to write for them one day. I don't know if I can come up with a list of 10 or 15 or 20 something, but you I should remember do reading it. it. They have open submissions and your self-care thing that we just talked about. There can be a, you know, start with nine self-care something. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that. And it's, you know, wanting to do everything or nothing at all. It's all 20 of the things on that list kind of sounded like oxymorons, but no, you can be manic and be depressed at the same time. You can have all that energy and be feeling bad. You could um, be anxious, totally spastic, but you're too down trying to do anything about it. They, they work against each other, you know, and with anxiety in particular, you're so um, easily unsettled. And then with the, the depression piece of it all, you're either really, really manic, which doesn't work for anxiety because you're anxious and you're spastic, or you're really, really depressed. And then you combine those two, you have all of this mania going on, but you're too, um, you're feeling too down to do anything about it. It's wanting to do everything and nothing at all at the same time. And it is a beast. It really is. Have any natural cures been soothing for you at all, AJ? Like even like things like maybe physically like working out or diet or, you know, any of those kinds of things or the, you know, the, the yeah, the foods that you specifically eat, like there are specific foods that raise the serotonin level um, mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. Have you done any of that as a part of your treatment yet? Definitely. And I'm glad you mentioned that because when people hear the terms mental illness, they're thinking doctors and pills. And again, if you had no doctors and you had no pills, what would you do? Some meditation is good. You know, praying is good you know, eating a balanced diet. And people might say, what does nutrition have to do with um, a, lot. a lot? Serotonin is actually found in the gut. And I mean, you could eat almonds and blueberries to raise your serotonin levels. You don't need a pill for that. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, the caramel, caramel, chamomile tea. Yes. Um, help calm myself down sometimes instead of taking anxiety meds. There are non-medicinal approaches to bipolar mania. And people don't understand that, like, oh, for something this extreme, you know, you cannot use meds. Yeah. Think of what's love got to do with it. Tina Turner lived a life of pure hell, and she learned to meditate yes. in order to deal with that, you know, for something that was so severe. What works for one may not work for the other, but definitely natural remedies help. My, uh, my old therapist would say, more skills, less pills. Yeah. So the, the more skills that you that. learn, then you know you start to lower those doses, and then the more skills that you learn, you start to lower those doors, doses even more. In the ideal world, I I feel that that's how it should be. 
I agree. I think that that, you know, those things, you know, I've seen be tremendously helpful for me, for people in my coaching practice, you know, for friends of mine, everything from like meditation to EFT, emotional freedom technique is big for me, or even different kinds of meditation and therapy, like journaling. Journal therapy is huge or arts therapy, you know, music therapy, the music that you listen to. Finding healthy ways to self-soothe can be, can work in conjunction with with whatever your medical treatment is, that they show that you know a lot of children who are diagnosed with mania, when they then take foods out of their diet that have that specific red dye in it, that they don't have necessarily the same amounts of hyperactivity. You know that mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that are affecting us. You know the hormones in our foods and things that we may not even be aware of. So I think mm -hmm. look at yourself as a um, as as AJ is doing as a whole human being, mind, body, and spirit, whole right. your whole self. Treat your. We whole have to maintain our temple. I'm glad you mentioned music. Like I said, I put together a short film, wrote, produced, executive produced, uh, called Music and Emotion. And I am a diehard 80s fan. I love me some Force MDs and Salt and yes, Pepper and all the rest of them. So yes, I, and I centered mental health topics um, on exercise and different exercise moves. So it's a workout video that's 80s themed and I have short skits in between each of the exercises that um, center on different mental health topics. So like let's say for depression, you can do group exercise or you can do squats, something like that, you know, for isolation and feelings of inadequacy, you can stretch, you know, on and on yes. and on. And we had a lot of fun. It was four months and 250 hours of editing, but um, yeah. You know, I know. <laughs> yeah. No, we I did know. it. We had a lot of fun. I need music around me at all times. And that's what helps me soothe. Me too. Me too. It's it's a big, big part of my self-soothing, my self-care, mm -hmm. you know, my mental health uh, reinforcement. Um, and also, um, because isolation can be so damaging, just being around other healthy people, feeling good, those kinds of things are so, so, so important. Mm -hmm. Wait, here's a question uh, just before we get ready to close, AJ. So Chica Photo says, hello, Abiola and AJ. What is a what a powerful discussion. Thank you. This conversation is so important and will help so many people. Do you have any remedies or suggestions for anxiety or panic attacks, breathing exercises, or perhaps taking a break, sitting down? This is very important. It really is. And I'm glad she mentioned breathing exercises. Deep breathing really does help because you have to calm down to do it. And even if you're just deep breathing for a couple of seconds, it, you know, your um, stress hormones start to respond. You know, they, they become a little more balanced. And, and that's something for a separate episode. It's not because mental illnesses are caused by chemical imbalances, because they are not. But you have stress hormones that get out of control. And they'll start to decrease when you start to breathe deeply. You know, you have to quiet yourself, quiet your mind. It requires concentration. So if you're sitting still and concentrating, you start to calm down. And you can do that for a couple of seconds until it becomes a couple of minutes, until it becomes 10 or 15. You know, again, it's yes. not a pill on a market that's going to help with that long term. You know, it might make you sleepy, but it's not going to help with that long term. So there are a lot of natural remedies and things that you can do for anxiety. Deep breathing is one of them. Journaling is, is another. Just to get it off your chest and out of your system. You know, yes. those are those are two things that have been very helpful for me, Chica. That um, the breathing is so important. That that is perhaps maybe the biggest tool because you always have access to your breath. There's a woman named Kathleen Booker. She is a breathwork coach. That I spoke to her in a previous episode, and I've worked with her you know, as a breathwork coach and worked with her, my whole family has worked with her. Um, and so just take a look at her, Google Kathleen Booker or the Kathleen Booker Spiritpreneur School episode. Okay. Take a look at her and you can make a session with her. And she literally works with you through breathing and the breath. 
also journaling very very important um very helpful to just get that stuff out um mm -hmm. there's also you know some kind of like if you know something physical sometimes it's just getting that out like if you are a exercise. runner i'm not a runner but yeah some sort of exercise or dance putting on the music turning music way up as loud as you can and just kind of dancing it out getting it out i think that's really helpful um, when I was uh, when I was a teen, I was diagnosed with asthma and haven't had asthma again. And I tell my sister now, I was telling her the other day, I think actually it was panic attacks. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was asthma. I think they just didn't know how to diagnose it. And so, you know, one of the things that is very helpful for me is EFT, emotional freedom technique. And I have a video, I was trying to pull it up, but I can't pull it up at the same time with this. Um, but I'll post it on my Facebook page after this, facebook.com slash Aviola TV. And I'll also tweet it. And it's a video, you know, about dealing with panic. Um, and I think it's really helpful. EFT, if you're unfamiliar with it, is just like there's acupuncture where you put needles in, it's acupressure, which is tapping. And that there is something, you know, very soothing and very helpful about tapping on those meridian points, you know, in a sequence, repeating the challenges that you're currently dealing with. It's a, it's a very, very powerful way of soothing yourself and clearing, you know, that that frontal cortex where fear lives, you know, it's a really, really powerful way to deal with anxiety and panic attacks. So like I said, I will post those links after this conversation on facebook.com slash Abiola TV and also Twitter at Abiola TV. So I'm glad you mentioned that about the, um, about tapping um, as, as well. You know, again, all of this is non medicinal ways of dealing with bipolar disorder and the different illnesses that are out there. But what I want to stress is for women especially to get to, not that men aren't included, but women especially because we're so emotional, to get into the habit of these self-care practices on a regular basis before you become stressed out and all spastic. You know, it's easy to say, what do you do when this happens? Okay, let's talk about prevention before yes. intervention. Make that a part of your life every day. Try to do some journaling. Just, it doesn't have to be anything all fancy. The English teacher's not great in it. Just um, yes. Yes. what you have, you know, it, it helps you to see patterns. I used to hate when people tell me to journal. But you go back and read it, and you start to see what triggered what what kind of mood you were in when you had that last episode, what precipitated that, what's, you know, what's going on in your environment that's causing you to feel a certain way. And yes. then you start to read things and you can go back and modify your behavior based on what was written. Because there were times journaling wasn't working and there were times the tea wasn't working. I was all over the place and I had an attitude with everything and everyone. I was blowing up at people. I was crying for no reason at all. I was a hot mess, Abiola, seriously. I was somewhere, you know, trying to find John Jesus and two extra Jews. It was, it was so much. It was so much. And I just got to a point, I said, I can't live like this anymore. I can't. I had to find a way just to begin calming myself down and it's still a challenge for me today but i'm not the woman that i was on eight different pills and ten different pills seven years ago and we are so blessed for that we are so blessed for that we are out of time for today aj okay. But I just want to just say, you know, yes, you touched on so many important things, you know, that for me, prayer and medica meditation, you know, um, meditation over medication. But of course, I have to also stress that, you know, I have to give a, a medical disclaimer and say that this conversation is not intended to treat or diagnose any illness or condition. Of course, see your own practitioners to decide on a course of study that is right for you. And everything that we're talking about is about you taking into responsibility your own well-being. So I want to just give one more point and then there's one more brief question if you can wrap up with that, AJ. Um, okay. Also in terms of herbal therapy, what I just wanted to add is that lavender, in addition to chamomile, you know, lavender has is also very soothing. My sister is a healing artist and an, an herbalist and, you know, chamomile and there are many different herbs that you could either take in by drinking or through aromatherapy that could be very healing for you. So there are alternatives out there. So here is the final question from Chica Photo. She says, she wants to know, AJ, where can we see 
your yes i agree where can we see your exercise music themed video it sounds great and she says so many great suggestions eft journaling dance she's taking notes thank you so as you wrap up tell us please where to find your video where to find your film um and where to find your work in general and follow up with you well the video is titled music in motion for mental health illness it is on my channel aj writer w-r-i-t-e-r on facebook and tumblr and twitter i'm aj Wright mental w-r-i-t-e and that's where i do the bulk of my work i've been had therapists as far as alabama university of alabama school of medicine reach out to me just from things that I posted online. I'm in a community of over 600 people, which may not seem like a lot in this world of millions and millions of followers, but that tells me that people are listening and they're watching. So um, I do a lot of work on Facebook and different social media outlets. The book is Hindsight is 2020, How an African-American Girl Grows Up Mentally Ill and is Dead Last to Find Out. And you can get that on Amazon. Last name is Ekundayo, E-K-U-N-D-A-Y-O. And that's um, it's, it's for sale now and part of the, the business platform on mental health education that I'm trying to build. So things are starting to look up. It's just yes. year one almost. So, you know, that can be kind of rocky for any business owner. But things are starting to look up and people are taking an interest in the book. Yes, things are things are absolutely looking up. Beautiful AJ, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm gonna post all of these links on Facebook and Twitter uh, for those of you who are listening live, and those of you who are listening to this in the archives or on iTunes, where you can subscribe to Spiritpreneur School. If you go to sacredmomshell.com and just search for AJ, I'm going to have a post with a link to her book, a link to her video, as well as a link to uh, the EFT video that I mentioned earlier. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So I'm AJ, just you said, to talk to you. Yes, that's what I was going to say. You said you've been wanting for us to talk for a long time, and here we are. I have. I've seen this. I said this woman is just all out celestial you know it's the energy it's the sun it's the light is brightness and love and the, you remind me of freddie from a different world i said that's fabiola she's awesome fabulous. i love it i love it and we need to get these issues out we do thank you so much i am so oh, glad you. that you were born and created on this planet we need thank you. you we thank need you your so work much. you are a blessing Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. The hour went by so quickly. It did. It did. Great conversation, and I know that someone, that many someone's, are being helped by this conversation right now. So thank you, AJ. Thank you to You're you welcome. for watching. Check out AJ's book. Check out her video, and most of all, check yourself. Take care of you. Take care of your own mental health, your well-being, your mind, body, and spirit. Because your birth certificate is proof that we need the magic that you are. All right, my loves, dream bigger, love yourself, and I will see you in the next conversation.